0: Take, take all of it if you would. Take the other stuff too. Thank you. Well, hey, the marrieds are rocking the house this morning. You know, we don't use instruments in Dallas. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It's uh, it's always uh, it's always fun to see how happy everybody is on the morning, the Sunday morning of a married retreat, and uh, we're really happy that you're happy. I'd be uh, I'd be real miss if I didn't before I get started here this morning. Uh, just take a brief moment to say uh, how honored. Uh, truly honored, Connie and I have been to receive this invitation. Uh, it does our hearts so good to come back and uh, see so many, so many dear friends? I had the uh, Filipino Mafia. I mean contingent. Wow, that was close. I had the uh, Filipino lobby come up to me this morning and tell me I did a great job from the San Fernando Valley. And uh, what, a, what a group that is. And uh, you always want to get a thumbs up from the Filipinos. And uh, especially, I uh, just want to say uh, from the uh, deepest of sincerity, these, uh, these two regions in the L.A. Church are so incredibly blessed to have the leadership you have, to uh, have the family, the family that's been built. Amen. Amen. And, uh, you know, we uh, spent 20 years in uh, Los Angeles, as long as we've been anywhere in our married life, and for that matter, in any part of my life. And uh, I will just tell you, uh, those ministries are built as family. They're built solidly. And uh, the leaders who lead you love you like their own uh, children. And, uh, you know, we had a great, great time last night with the Fuquays. Uh, Wow, could we just entertain you all weekend just telling you our stories? Uh, I can't even work them into the material I have, there's just so many, but to, uh, to have friends uh, for 36, uh, really 38 years, uh, uh, this depth and magnitude is just overwhelming. And uh, just can't say enough about uh, their leadership, their love in steering the L.A. Church through uh, Uh, Many important decisions that needed to be made this past uh, five years, and we're proud to call you our brother and sister in Christ, but even more proud to call you the dearest of friends, and I want you to know that. Um, And I I would say the same about Jerry and Erlin and and their leadership through these last uh, decision-making five years or so. Really, uh, 10 years and really many more than that even, but uh, so many fond memories uh, with the Sugarman family and to see them enjoying their grandchildren now is just uh, something that uh, we wanna imitate and we love you guys dearly. I I can't single out all the staff because uh, uh, the sister who shared on communion might come back up here, so I gotta keep going. (laughs) Not give her an opening. She did a great job by the way. She did a great job, but uh, I, I got to keep moving here because I know she may, may try to knock me out here. Uh, but I, I do want to also really hold up Ron and Cheryl, who I think we're really at the heart of planning this. Um, I, I say this in not a in any way a demeaning way in the slightest. They're they're true children in the faith, and uh, now they're peers in the faith, and for. Parents in the faith, and and if you'll give me that liberty to say that, uh, you could not be more proud of watching what they have, through God and through you, have been a part of building here in the L.A. Church and uh, building family. Uh, Marty made a comment to me last night at dinner, out of their presence, uh, they have been trained well. And uh, that is probably the highest compliment you can give any minister and his wife. But thank you especially for just uh, making us feel so loved and so welcomed on behalf of really all of you. So, wow, I'd better get into things, but we love you guys and the rest of the staff, Joe, Lynette, all of you. God bless you, we love you guys. And I love the Filipinos, did I say that? Love you guys. The Godfather himself gave me a thumbs up over there. <laughs> Amen. You know, I, uh, I tried to think about what I would want to, uh, what really we would want to leave you with here in closing out this great, enjoyable, convicting, fun weekend. And uh, I'm going to share some of our thoughts with you here. We've kind of worked on this uh, last part together. And uh, I, I will tell you this, maybe by way of encouragement, I, I tried to think of what I, how I would describe my first, uh, I will go in as far as saying decade of marriage, now that we're 36 years in, so almost, uh, almost a third of our married life, and I can tell you, honestly, this is how I would describe me. I was really, for the first 10 years of marriage, like cement. No, really, I was like cement. That's the best metaphor I can come up with. And and what I mean by that is, I was truly all mixed up and set. <laughs> and I, I hope that doesn't describe where you're at in your marriage right now, but I wanted to share that because I think it will truly give you hope that You know, cracks can be made and you just keep adding water and keep adding water and you want to keep your marriage fluid and not get so set as you age. You know, I I hope uh, last night you had a a great date night. I hope uh, none of you got fixated on where does this piece go and by golly, uh, why is that piece even in there? Is it in the wrong puzzle? you know, I hope you really will remember as you go forward over the next few months, oh yeah, that's where we're going. That's what, through God's, through God's working, the Holy Spirit working, we, we can create in our marriage. And uh, marriage truly is like a puzzle, and we have our different approaches to it. You know, one thing about every marriage is it has its unique fingerprint. Uh, no two marriages are alike. It's amazing. no? You know, you raise three children like Connie and I have been so blessed to do, and you say, how did we parent those three, and they turn out with three very awesome but distinctly different personalities? And uh, that, that's how I look at marriages. There's, there's no one DNA that is right for all, so what works for Connie and I isn't something you just have to say, we're going to imitate that because that's them you got to find what works for you, but in the end, it's all about Jesus and really looking at who we're trying to imitate more than anything, not just in our life, but in our married walk. You know, uh, Connie stunned me a little bit on Saturday morning afternoon there when she opened up the program saying that she had some great insight, brothers, into the real conversation that went on in the garden with Adam and Eve. I mean, the arrogance of that. And why, is it, why isn't it in the Bible? And I, I hadn't heard that before. Had you heard that before? I mean, I'm not sure what version that is. But, uh, I, you know, I, I Googled some things last night. And I got uh, deeper into God's Word where you guys were out on a date. I thought, i got to get, get deeper here. And so I actually found an omitted manuscript from Genesis that, that most scholars believe is the real conversation that went on in the garden. So I told you, uh, I told you yesterday I was going to get the last word on this, so be careful. But uh, if you really want to know what almost made the book of Genesis, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's this. One day, and by the way, women kept this out. One day, after a near eternity in the Garden of Eden, Adam calls out to the Lord, Lord, I I have a problem. What's the problem, Adam? The Lord replied. Lord, I know you created me and have provided for me and surrounded me with a beautiful garden and all those wonderful animals, but I'm just not Happy. Why is that, Adam? The Lord asked. Lord, I, I know you created this awesome place for me and all this lovely food and these beautiful atoms, uh, animals, but, but, but I'm just lonely. Well, Adam, in, in that case, I've got the perfect solution for you. The perfect solution for you. What's that? It's a woman. This woman will be the most intelligent, sensitive, caring, and beautiful creature I have ever created. She will be so intelligent, Adam, that she's going to be able to figure out what you want before you even know what you want. Her sole purpose... And paradise here is going to be to meet your needs and make you happy. In fact, she's going to wear you out. Well, you can imagine what Adam said. He said, Lord, that sounds incredible. Oh, she will be, God says. But it's going to cost you, Adam. Adam. Adam paused and he said, what's it going to cost? It's going to cost you an arm, a leg, one of your ears, and that very nose on your face. Well, the account says that Adam paused for just a moment and then answered back to the Lord, What can I get for just a rib? (laughs) Now I ask you, which account do you really believe was inspired? Yeah, the next time you're complaining there, guys, about what you don't have, just remember what you got because you were too cheap and you wanted to hang on to that right arm. Connie and I laugh about it because I've told this before, and she says, well, that's what you get for a rib. You know, I don't want to make all the sisters alienated from me here, so (laughs) I just uh, want to say this, you can't underestimate, guys, how incredible our wives are. I mean, I've gone, I'll just admit this, I've gone through our entire married life, and I haven't really, that I can think of, ever had to do laundry, or even walk into my closet on a Sunday morning if I have a clean white shirt, it's just there. I remember one time Connie went to visit her uh, mom and dad uh, and, and left me tragically alone for a week. I mean, I think I lost 20 pounds, didn't eat, uh, walking around in soiled clothes. And I remember I actually, uh, her mom was sick and so she had to stay past a week and I had to call her up and say, I need to do some laundry. Can you walk me through it? And, uh, you know, she walked me through it. and. Uh, You know, I got over to that dial. Boy, you talk about intimidating those dials on those uh, washers. And I got over to that dial, and uh, I'm on the phone live with her. And I said, uh, "I said, honey, what what in the world do I do with this?" And she says, "Well, you need to look and see what it says on your shirts. What does it say?" And I said, "Dallas Cowboys." I don't do laundry. You know, uh, the other thing I'll just say about the women so they know I love them. You know, women are amazing because they know all about our children. And what a contrast that is to a guy, the husband. I mean, the woman, my wife, she knew all about the dental appointments and when they were for all three children. She knew about their little crushes in school their best friends at church, what their favorite foods were to even have on their birthday, their secret fears, struggles at school, hopes and dreams. That's what your wife knows. You want to know what the guy knows? A man is vaguely aware of some sort of short people living in the house with him. So I hope the sisters feel that we appreciate them, and I appreciate them. But that that pretty well sums it up. You know, we we just know there's a lot of little people walking around here, and that's a good thing. All right, I better get into things now. I uh, I got a lot of feedback on the uh, the puzzle illustration, and. Uh, I wanted to, uh, to leave you with an illustration that, uh, that, that, that here this morning that I think will be equally insightful. You know, in a few days, after spending a few days with our children and their wives and our granddaughter, on Thursday morning, Connie and I are going to fly back to Dallas. And we're going to go get on a plane, not think much about it, and we're going to hopefully land in Dallas. That's where they say we're going. You know, the pilot gets on. He tells you his thing, what he's going to do, how high he's going to fly, what cities you're going to go over. I'm just saying, man, can you just give me some peanuts back here? You do what you got to do. I'll just do what I'm going to do back here. But why they're on this, uh, this journey that you're on with them, you may not realize this true fact. There are two black boxes, two black They're going to be communicating with each other for the entire beginning to the very end of the journey. They're literally black boxes. And among the aviation community, they have names. George and Fred. Now, George, well, let's talk about Fred first. Fred is the Internal Navigation Computer. And Fred's job, so to speak, is to know exactly where that plane is at any given time, where it should be, and where it's supposed to be going, and it takes all this data and it knows at any given point if it's on course or not. You see, Fred has great instincts. Fred is sort of the wife of the plane. And then there's the other black box, true, and this is nicknamed in the aviation industry George. That's the hubby of the plane. You see, George is the autopilot. And George is the one at the controls. He's the one driving. He gives it more thrust, backs the thrust off. George is is just flying the plane. And I am told by a pilot who's a brother in the Dallas church, that these two boxes literally are responsible for flying the plane. The pilot's not really doing much unless there's a problem. It's pretty incredible, actually. And they're communicating back and forth thousands, thousands, tens of thousands of times on that short flight, that two-hour flight between here and Dallas. And it goes something like this. Fred is saying, George, we need to give it more speed here. We're falling behind because of the air uh, turbulence or the jet stream or whatever the reason is. And and little George back there, he's saying, okay, more thrust. Kind of like you and your wife when you're driving somewhere, but we won't go there. (laughs) And and what is amazing about this whole ballet that goes on for this two-hour flight is that, get this, 90% 90% of the time we are told by the aviation community that that plane is off course. 90% of the time. Sound like your marriage? And that what is amazing, because Fred and George communicate and work together as a team That huge 767 that we're going to be flying home on with close to 270 people on it is going to land at DFW Airport. It brings the plane down within 1,000 yards of where it's supposed to land within five minutes of the scheduled landing time. It is absolutely amazing. But I'm just telling you, you want a great metaphor for your marriage? It's Fred and George. You're going to be off course 90% of the time on that narrow path that we're to walk down. And you're going to need old Fred to tell you, honey... We're off course. And George can get real prideful, but George wants to look good, too, because he's flying the plane, really, and his job is to make that pilot look good, and so he's going to say, okay, I'll, I'll adjust, I'll adjust. And this literally, like I said, will go on in your marriage between now and the time God separates you. And to me, if you understand that, that you are a team and that you are working together and that, again, as I've really tried to convey here, it's not about perfection. It's about striving to make progress. You just want to make sure in the end you're putting it down on the runway in Dallas, no matter how many corrections it takes to get there. The title of the message is Love Never Fails. And, you know... Wow, you talk about a subject you could say a lot about. Let me just share with you three scriptures where the Bible talks about love. You you guys still with me out there? You're not thinking about last night, are you? Okay, that's that's a memory. You need to go create a new one. Love never fails. What does the Bible really want us to know about love? Well, how about three things here? 1 John 4, verse 8: Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. Man, I really want to have a marriage where people look to Connie and I and they say, God. Because only God can make the two truly this one. And this love, this perfect. In Galatians 5, verse 6, I love this verse. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. You know, I got so much coming at me. Just tell me what counts. Just boil it down to a few things. I can handle that. I'm a guy. Yeah, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Don't mess up the love part of your marriage. And then finally, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31 But now let me show you a way of life that is the best of all. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels and didn't love others, man, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Boy, does that describe so many marriages in the world. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I dishonored or or if I understood all of God's secret plans and uh, possesses all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but I didn't love others I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body I could boast about it but if I didn't have the love for others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. Why did that one have to go in there? And it keeps... No record of wrongs. Okay, one for the brother, one for the sister. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whatever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Let me tell you about a couple you probably have never even heard of. His name's Daniel. I won't bore you with the last name. Her name is Susan. Daniel was born in 1759. Historians Susan in 1772, just over a decade later. They were married She's not even a teenager. That's kind of how they did it back then. You know, when you die at 30, you don't wait till 35 to get married. (laughs) Think about that, but trust me. And, uh, you know, Daniel actually served in the Continental Army in the Revolutionary War. Do you know that he lived so long that he died four years after, Marty will appreciate this, the Civil War. Whoa. As remarkable as that distinction is, he set a world record that we are told still stands. His marriage to his bride, Susan, lasted until September 10th, 1863, When she passed away. Now, I don't expect you to do all the math here or even remember these figures, but just remember this. That means that Daniel and Susan were married for 91 years and 12 days. Man, you better like who you're married to. (laughs) The archives that historians have looked at, it says various archives indicate that they were a happy and harmonious couple to the end. No doubt they had to endure incredible hardships along the way in those days. No doubt they had ups and downs. Hey, do you think they ever had a married fight? And I'm just telling you, we live in very different times. People don't take vows that seriously, let alone marriage vows. In uh, in Matthew 24, uh, a passage that is so appropriate in lieu of our topic this morning. Matthew 24, verse 12, Jesus himself previewed the latter times that you and I would now find ourselves in. And he's talking about that in Matthew 24, the end times. And get what he says in verse 12. He says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. I mean, have you really, really ever pondered that thought? It's because of the increase of wickedness that love is growing cold. Boy, I've been in California for 20 years. I've been away for six years. I'm amazed every time I come back how more and more wicked it gets in the Southland. You guys kind of Set the curve on that, too, if I can just be that bold. I'm not saying Dallas is by any means a righteous city, but it's a foreign country compared to Southern California. And what's tolerated and what's not, what values are there and what values are here. And I would look at it simply to say that what a place for love to shine. True biblical love and commitment. But you know, if I, if I really want to leave you with some thoughts this morning, it would have to be one, you've got to really get serious and get in the game about protecting your marriages. Amen. I, I think we have let our guard down in God's church about protecting our most cherished relationship on earth, our marriage. And you know, uh, I can tell you this, and let me share this little illustration with you, true story. Connie and I purchased a house about a year ago in Dallas, and uh, we were able to get a little piece of property in a subdivision that uh, backs up to a lake, can't see the lake from our house, it's about a mile away, but they have left that whole area immediately behind our house as Army Corps property. So it's really beautiful. It's got trees and walking trails, and we feel like we have our own little oasis right in the middle of Dallas there. And uh, this was the first summer we had lived in that neighborhood. And, you know, being the resourceful guy I was, uh, we, we have a wrought iron fence so we can have a nice view. But I got thinking, you know, I'm in Texas, and I'm told there's snakes. And we back up to this almost like forest area, so I'm going to be ready if snakes come in my yard. Because I had seen a few snakes in the last four years. I saw a rattlesnake and a copperhead that I almost stepped on hiking once. And I thought, okay, they're here. I know they're here. So I went to our little tractor supply store. You don't have those out here, but (laughs) I I got myself a, a tool uh, to uh, be prepared. It was about a handle on it this long. It's got a killer blade on it. It looks like something you would see in a horror movie. And uh, what it is, it's for uh, these professional contractors to scrape uh, floors with. And I mean, it's heavy duty, this one. And uh, I, uh, true story, told the church we were talking about sin and being ready for sin and temptation when it comes. and I brought this as a prop on Sunday morning and I held it up and I said, "I'm ready for whatever comes my way, because I know it's coming. They loved it. I mean if it's not a gun, at least it's something that's going to kill someone. And uh, I went home that Sunday. True story, all this is true. And I put it on my back porch because I thought, man, if I see a snake, by the time I go try to find it in the garage, that snake's going to be gone. A week after making that boast before the church, I uh, come home from church the following Sunday. I uh, do what I normally do. You know, I had a couple appointments at the uh, end of the afternoon, I go outside to. take care of something in the backyard, and I had these very loafers, and I I took them off because it was a little muddy, it has been raining a lot, so I took those off, and I leave them right at my back door. I go inside, don't think any more about it, I just know I'm not going to get in trouble with Fred. See how I protected her? Learn from that, guys. And uh, the day goes on, I got to tell you this story, okay? The day goes on, and it's it's getting dark, and I'm getting ready to let the dogs out one last time. We have these two little dogs. I let them out. They come in. They don't want to be out there. They know there are bad things out there. They rush back in, practically knock me over, and my shoes are laying there, and I'm thinking, oh, I better pick those up. But I thought about Fred, and I thought about how hard Fred works to keep the floor clean, so I thought, well, I, I better not put these on, although... Before God, in my mind, I'm barefooted, I'm thinking, I'll just slip these suckers on. And then I thought about Fred. And so, something, I mean, you have this memory that it was like hitting a wall, oh, I can't do that, literally. And I bend down, just like I'm doing here, barefooted, and I pick up my shoes, and I bring them up like this. Again, it's pretty dark out. And I'm seeing these June bugs flying around. We have, most things in Texas, they just wanna kill you. So you, you get inside as quick as you can. And I, I took my shoes, and I thought, man, I, I might have a June bug, because they were everywhere. And uh, so I just did that. Let me get the June bug out. And a, and a, and a snake, okay, it's an 18-inch long snake, because I measured it after I killed it. I thought, I'm going to see how long this sucker was. 18 inches. A copperhead was all the way, all 18 inches of him up there, and he literally falls off, brushes my hand, and falls at my feet. You say, what do you do when that happens? Well, that's kind of between me and God. And... Uh, And I can tell you with a clear conscience, I don't know what I said. I just know that it wasn't good. I know that. And I'm being very sincere here. I don't know what I said, but it wasn't something I've said in years. And I literally leaped back, of course, trying to get in the door, The only thing that saved me from getting bit is that snake was more startled than I was because it had been sleeping. Connie is in the bedroom and she hears whatever her ears heard. And she thinks literally, I've I've gotten stabbed or I'm dead or something is is killing me because she's never heard such a... Okay, I screamed like a girl, okay? I did. Along with what I said. She's never heard that in 36 years of marriage. And she comes running out so panicky, raising her, what's going on? What happened? What's going on? And I said, whatever I said, and there's a snake came out of there somewhere. And I slammed the door, and that little copperhead went right up against the glass door and and got against the door. My snake killer was on the porch over there, and the snake was between me and it. And and we got a flashlight. We looked down. I saw the markings. I said, "Oh my, good Lord, this is a copperhead, Connie." And uh, to make a long story short, I, I waited till it kind of moved. A bit. Eventually, it took like ten minutes. It seemed at least ten minutes, and I got that little snake killer. And I just <clears throat> did one of those and grinded that head into the porch. And and I, and I say that to say I was protecting my family. I know I'm not in California, but man, I was getting high fives at church from the sisters, the brothers. I was a true Texan for the first time. I know it might have been a little different out here. I mean, could you not have relocated it? I mean, did you have to kill it? That's one of God's creatures. Dude, I'm a Texan. That head was off. I was ready to make a pair of boots. And and I'm just saying, no no criticism towards California, but until you're in my shoes, don't tell me what you would do in that situation. I was just prepared. Do you know that in the weeks to follow, within the month and a half, I killed three other copperheads in my backyard, and my neighbors across the street had me come over to kill a rabid water moccasin on their front yard. I got up at church to speak about two weeks after that, and I walk up, didn't know this, the AV team in the back Played the Indiana Jones theme as I was walking up to the pulpit. And uh, now they call me India. It's kind of stuck. But guys, things are so different nowadays. You know, it says love always protects. How are you protecting your spouse? Are you prepared? You know, sin is more accessible and acceptable than ever before, I put, in modern times. And there are two specific areas that come to mind when I think about that are both just as deadly to a marriage. Pornography and flirting. Let me just elaborate briefly. When I was a kid... A guy had to walk into a store in front of everyone who would know he was a pervert and go up and buy a Playboy magazine. These days, anybody can look at pornography endlessly on the internet in the privacy of their own dark home on a computer and not only do Many not even consider that perverted. They think it's the norm. When I was a kid, a woman would have to flirt with a man face to face in a normal social setting. Once again, wow, there was a stigma of shame. She would be labeled a slut or a whore. I'm just telling you the way it was. Now with Facebook, text messaging, women and men can approach each other in total secret to test the waters. And the affairs that spring from it, as well as the divorces that result from it, have become more and more acceptable in life. Dare I say, even in the church. But you know, some things never change. God still sees it, and God still hates it, just as much as he ever has. In Mark Mark chapter 7, Jesus says, since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Let no one split apart. Malachi 2 says, I hate divorce. Says the Lord God of Israel, and you know, I might just add, even in the case of adultery. I can assure you, nothing has changed in God's eyes on this subject. But you better wake up as you go back out into this world from this great, safe weekend. That Satan is laying a trap. And he's going to be where you least expect him. Even if you think you're prepared, let me just say, truth. My shoes now are at least 10 feet up in my house. Never leave them outside again. Truth. This happened four months ago. I grow my closet, I grab my loafers, and I look at him before I put him down. I don't know, I guess a cobra could get up there, but I don't think we have those in Texas. I, I don't think I'm ever going to be uh, able to put my shoes on the same way. I'm traumatized. <laughs> How traumatized are you to pornography? How traumatized are you to that subtle little flirting in the office with that guy at work. Let me give you two revealing stats that, boy, are these going to change your outlook on flirting with the devil. Only 10% of wives and husbands who leave their spouse in the midst of an affair, only 10% wind up marrying their lover. And you know what? Three-fourths of those end in divorce again. Is that what you really are after? Are you kidding me? And then there's a second stat. This one's even more sobering. Close to 80% studies show of wives and husbands who divorce... Because of an affair in the marriage, close to 80% wind up regretting the decision to divorce. Even if they have scriptural grounds for it. I, uh, I just want you to know, we need to protect our marriages. And you know what that involves. But the last thing you want to do, you know, we're going to fly again on this plane going home to Dallas. I'll tell you one thing. Uh, my wife hates to fly. She just doesn't enjoy it. And if we get any kind of turbulence, <laughs> dude, I, I've got the marks still on my left arm if she's sitting on the left there. I've got some on my right arm. She just, she just and I say, honey. We're gonna be fine. These things can fly into hurricanes. I'm thinking, I hope, uh, but yeah. And, and she's grabbing on me. She goes, really? Yeah, sure they can. You know, I'm really grateful when you are flying on a plane and you get a, you know, some bad turbulence, and I've had some really bad turbulence, especially going over the Pacific. I'm so glad the pilot doesn't get on and say, hey guys, turbulence, jump, jump. We're opening the doors. You're going to have turbulence in your marriage. Your first thought shouldn't be to jump. Man, stay in the plane. It's safer in the plane. And I'll tell you, if the humility of Christ has the two transforming power in your marriage, it's that simple, it can change any marriage then I would close by telling you that the forgiveness of Christ is really the key to a lasting marriage, to sustaining marriage, and really the key to discovering the depth of love in your marriage. You know, I'll leave you with one last metaphor. The Bible says an amazing thing in Luke chapter 6, verse 37. It says, do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and hey, you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Do you really understand what God is saying to us about our relationships there? It is literally saying that the very way you treat in other relationships is going to have a profound impact on how you're going to be treated in your relationship with God on judgment. In other words, if you really want to have a merciful judgment, you can affect it right now by being incredibly merciful, in this case, to your spouse. Now, I know how some of us think. You know, marriage, it's a long haul. And, you know, I've only got so much mercy to give out, so this is the measure I'm going to use for giving out forgiveness. And, uh, you know... In our early days of marriage, it was kind of like, are you kidding me? I had no idea she was like that. What What jerk did I marry? I thought he was in the ministry, too. Wow, my goodness. And, and it's kind of like, okay, I know I need to forgive. And you hear the convicting messages. And it's kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm going to come. I'm going to forgive. And there you go. You know, we'll see. But let's just see if he changes. But, okay, he's, he's trying a little bit. So, okay. Okay, there's a little bit more. And I am telling you, that's, that's the mercy cup in a lot of marriages. And then, you know, you, you, you're married for a few years, and you get more in touch, key, with your own sinfulness, and so you think, okay, I'm going to really be like Jesus now. And uh, put down, you know, that little mercy cup, and okay, man, I'm going to be like Jesus. Wow. Wow. Aren't I awesome? They're probably going to ask me to share communion next year. And, uh, you know, I'm going to have a good time up there because they're going to like me. And, and I'm just going to keep doing that. Hopefully someone will notice. And, uh, wow, man, heaven is mine. But, you know, when you get in touch with your own sin, man, I'm just not sure that's big enough to cover your little butt in heaven. So if you're like me, dude, you take that scripture really serious, the measure you use, the measure will be done, man, hey Connie, I'm sorry, yeah, okay, babe, that's no problem at all. And then when you do something like sell your wife's wedding dress at a garage sale, it's like, (laughs) come on honey, you want to go to heaven, don't you? And by the way, by the way, I didn't sell it for a quarter. I got $3 for that thing. That was the top clothing item that day. I want you to know. And so, you know, yeah, that week was an interesting week. And yeah, I needed uh, the, the bigger bucket to flow. But you know, just keep letting it flow, guys. What's the sweat off your back? You're setting up your judgment right now in heaven. Set yourself up, man. Store up treasure of mercy in heaven. I'm telling you, like the bucket says, like the bucket says, man, let's do this. Okay? Let's do this. That is what I want to leave you with. Mercy, forgiveness, love sustains the marriage. Leonardo Da Vinci. Pretty amazing guy. He, uh, on one occasion, was painting The Last Supper. I've had the opportunity to see it on the Sistine Chapel. Probably many of you have. And the story, true story goes, and I'll leave you with this thought, that he had a terrible falling out with a fellow artist right before he painted probably one of the greatest artistic works the world has ever seen on that wall of the Sistine chapter, The Last Supper. The true story is told that he determined to paint his enemy, who he had this falling out with, as the face of Judas. Yeah, you don't want to tick off the Filipinos are an artist. (laughs) They tell us it was a perfect likeness. It's like looking up there and seeing Tom McCurry. Okay, that's Tom McCurry. Dude, is that Tom McCurry? That's Tom McCurry. I mean, how would you like that? But last of all, he saved to the very end to paint the face of Jesus. We're told that he agonized over it. Painted over it again, whited it out, painted it again. No matter how hard he tried, nothing could please him. Finally, he realized, we're told, that he could not Paint the face of Jesus in that portrait until he erased the face of his enemy as Judas. And Michelangelo says, or excuse me, Leonardo da Vinci says that once he corrected that, the face of Jesus came effortlessly. You want to paint the face of Jesus in your spouse? You want to paint the face of Jesus in your marriage? Grab the bigger bucket. Let mercy flow. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And understand that love never fails. Let's pray as we close out our thoughts. God, help us to love you deeply and to fear you greatly in our lives. Teach us how to love each other for your sake. May the humility of Christ be seen in the way we treat each other. Lord, when we are prone to fight, teach us to fight sin together and to fight for you. When we are tempted to shut down and even run away, bring repentance and renewal through imitating your forgiveness. Show us how to enjoy each other without neglecting your mission here on earth. Remind us of the brevity of life often so that we may share your good news urgently. Keep our focus in our marriage on heaven so we will face life's many trials and hardships joyfully. And finally, God, when we settle down for too long, prod us to get up and to run. May we spend our few married days reminding each other Of your glory, your gospel, your humility, your love, your forgiveness, your mission, and your promise of what is to come. In Jesus' name, amen.